today we're going to be finishing off chapter 7 of the book of Matthew uh, as uh, we conclude his uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been studying through uh, Matthew for uh, some time now. We just want to systematically go through uh, this, uh, the Word of God. And so we're going to pick up in where we last left off, which was uh, verse 23 is where we last left off. So we'll pick up in verse 24 this morning and uh, we'll finish off the chapter uh, today and, and really his sermon on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today. So will you join uh, and stand with me as we read uh, this morning's portion together? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. Uh, in a message I've entitled, Built to Last. And so, I uh, just want to encourage you guys uh, to be blessed and to read along as we uh, cover this morning. Matthew 7, verse 24 says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at His teaching, for He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for this morning. Uh, we thank You for Your presence that is here with us as we uh, were just worshiping You. Uh, Lord, we just invite Your presence to remain with us as we go through Your Word. Lord, lead and guide our time. Father, the message that You've laid upon my heart, allow me to bring it forth uh, clearly. And the Lord, I pray that we would receive it and allow Your Word, uh, Your applied Word to our lives to mold and shape us, to change us, to make us more and more like Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray Your blessings and we pray Your uh, Spirit's leading on uh, our time together this morning. We thank You for all the good things that You're doing in our lives, Lord. We thank You that even through the trials that we know that they're going to all work together for good for those of us who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so, Father, we just thank You for what You're doing in our lives this morning. We just pray that You'd continue this morning to do that work that You desire to do in our lives. We pray pray Your blessings. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Jesus here, he brings up the topic of construction and builders. And I am personally am not one that's very familiar with construction. I didn't. I went to school to be a teacher. Actually, I was going to be a teacher, and I thought I was going to be teaching school age kids. But I'm teaching God's word. Interesting how God changes plans, but works out things. 
another story, another testimony I'll share later. But just to, so so you know, I, I'm not a construction guy. I'm not very good uh, with construction. Uh, I don't know anything uh, about construction. I don't have any construction skills. I think construction workers and, and builders are extremely talented. You know, to be able to take just raw resources, some lumber and, and, to, and some nails and to erect something, a house, uh, furniture pieces, all sorts of things, uh, even some of that fine woodworking. You see uh, uh, jewelry boxes and things like that. It really just amazes me what people can do. Uh, and I don't have that gifting or talent. <laughs> um, although I don't know much about building, uh, my wife Farah does. Uh, not because she uh, worked construction, but her father, uh, my father-in-law, he owned his own construction company. And uh, he uh, built homes, custom homes and apartment buildings, and uh, later on in his career was overseeing grocery uh, store development projects and things like that. And so uh, she definitely has a background and an understanding of some of those things. Uh, I also had a really, really great friend uh, named Quint Betts, who uh, uh, lived in, when I lived in California, uh, we used to hang out together. He owned his own construction company as well. He was a framer. Uh, if you're familiar with construction, uh, all I know is the frame is basically kind of like the skeleton. So he would kind of put the skeleton up of the house and then other people come in and put the walls insides of the house and things like that together. So he was a framer. Uh, just a great brother-in-law. He's actually now pastoring uh, Calvary Chapel, Clovis, in New Mexico. Uh, but that, too, is a different story. Uh, when I was substitute teaching in California, uh, sometimes you didn't get a call. And so uh, my friend Quint, knowing that I was looking for work uh, from time to time, he'd say, hey, why don't you come with me down to the work site? And uh, you, I can have you do some to work for me. And uh, although I didn't know any construction, I told him, I don't know anything about construction. That's okay. I can teach you. It's really easy. And so, uh, you know, I thought, uh, what a great opportunity. Because, uh, one, it's, I get to hang out with my friend. I get to maybe learn some construction skills and get paid. And at the same time, I thought, a great opportunity to, to get in good with my father-in-law, you know, to kind of show, you know, he's a construction guy and I'm a teacher and kind of maybe not on the same page. So I thought, this would be a great way to earn some credit with the father-in-law. Oh, yeah, I was out on the job site today and I learned this and did that. And, and so I went. And uh, I thought this would be great. And, uh, although I didn't know anything, uh, my friend Quint just kind of threw me in, made me do all sorts of crazy things. We were framing and walking. He had put two-by-sixes along the second floor, and you're walking across, and, hey, carry that wood over here and do this and do that. And I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, that's a freeway. What are you doing? You've been running on that thing. And he was making fun of me. And so then he got me off of that, and he put me on a ladder on the side, and had me. he gave me this two gun and this nail gun and it weighed a ton and he had me California code had to put on these little these metal things in between the first and the second floor like every three feet or something like that so he's like just take this nail gun and put you know eight nails into this thing and go all the way around the whole entire house and so I'm going up the ladder instead of going up each one I thought I'll just go in the middle put one and then I'll reach over and you know, I'll do that one, and I'll reach over here and do that. By the end of the day, I couldn't even lift my arms. I got back, and I saw my father-in-law, and I was telling him, hey, you know, I went to the job site, and, 
I couldn't move my arms. He just laughed at me. I told him, he made me running on, you know, six-inch boards. He's like, that's a freeway. And I was like, he said the same thing. So I really missed out on an opportunity to win over my father-in-law. And uh, you guys are shaking your head. Yeah, that is a freeway. Okay. Um, I'm a teacher, okay? <laughs> Not a construction worker. That is what I learned. What I learned on this job site was that I was thankful that God did not call me into construction. And so uh, that was the one thing I did learn. Um, Jesus, on the other hand, he was very familiar with construction, okay? Um, he was the son of a carpenter, and many believe that he probably followed in Joseph's footsteps, learning the trade of carpentry as well. And so here in these verses, he speaks about two different builders. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dive in and try and look at uh, what he has for us. Starting off in verse 24, uh, just the very first part of the verse there says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them... These words uh, here, Jesus speaks, they are in conclusion to his Sermon on the Mount. Based upon all that he has taught from chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew, here he comes up with his final conclusion. And, And I find it interesting that Jesus didn't give a command at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. I'm a teacher. Okay? After you teach a lesson, usually you want to give an application or a directive that now you need to do this. Uh, and oftentimes in a sermon, as a, a preacher, you say, okay, I've taught you this, now go do this. Uh, but Jesus didn't do that. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, Jesus very much so was a man of action. Okay? And he was a man uh, that called for action. And the simple matter of the fact is that the calls to action have already been laid out. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus calling His followers to live a life that was different. To live a life that had them doing things different from what everybody else was doing. We'll do a little bit of a, of a recap, a summary. If you look back through chapter 5, He began His Sermon on the Mount describing the Beatitudes those who are part of the kingdom of heaven and the blessings that accompany them. This is where he gave his first command. He said to rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you experience persecution. He spoke of the similitudes relating his followers to salt and light. And here he gave another uh, command. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Verse 16. From there he started addressing some of the teachings that, uh, about various topics that oftentimes were brought up within the synagogues that the Pharisees and the scribes would teach from. He spoke of murder. And he declared that if your brother has something against you, that you're not to offer offer up your gifts, but that you're instead to leave them and to go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Talking about if we have problems with people, you know, murder. He said, don't murder. But he said, hey, even if you have hatred towards someone or someone has hatred towards you, you guys need to work that out. Okay? He spoke of adultery and he said if your eye causes you to sin, to pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, to cut it off. Pretty drastic uh, measures here that he's speaking of. He addressed our speech and, and our promises. 
and the oaths that we make. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to add anything else to it. He said, don't retaliate. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn and give them the other. He addressed our relationships with others when he said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who use you and persecute you in verse 44. In chapter 6, continuing his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he said, don't be like the hypocrites who, who give and pray and fast so that they may be seen by men. He then turned his attention to, to wealth. Okay? And he continued by declaring to us not to lay up our treasures here on earth, but to rather lay them up in heaven, to lay our treasures in heaven. In verse 33 of chapter 6, he said, Don't worry about your life. He said, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Chapter 7, most recently we've been going through chapter 7. Chapter 7, in the beginning, he exhorted us not to judge others and that we need to first do some self-evaluation in our own lives. We need to remove the plank from our own eye before we can start to assist others. He said to ask, seek, and knock continually because God can answer and God knows what we need and He knows what is best. Last week in our portion, we saw how he said to enter by the narrow gate. We talked about how that narrow gate leads to the way to to life everlasting, to the kingdom of heaven, and how Jesus Christ was that way. He is the only way. He talked last week, we also talked about how we need to beware of false prophets. And so as we go through his Sermon on the Mount, he has given many commandments. You know, I looked through, I did a study and looked at every verb there and and each one that was written in the imperative tense. And these are all the things that he said. This is what you need to be doing. And so his conclusion, he doesn't give us another commandment. He simply says, now you have a choice. His concluding remark centers around not another command or exhortation, but simply a choice between two options. One option is this, that you'll do what he already said to do. Or the second option is you won't do what he said to do. Here at the end of his sermon, Jesus, he really puts the ball in our court. Okay? He, it's, it's time for us to make a decision. He's laid out the commands. He's laid out what he's expecting and what he's asking. And many came and listened to his words. But that doesn't mean that many followed through with obeying what he had to say. And I think the same is true for us. We can listen all we want to Jesus' words. But unless we put them into action, they won't profit us anything. We can hear... And listen, but unless we put them into action, there's no blessing. We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. James chapter 1 verse 22, it tells us in his, uh, this letter, he says that if we're not doers of the word, that we're deceiving ourselves. In verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Okay? 
how do we deceive ourselves? I think it's by, by thinking that simply hearing the Word of God or knowing the Word of God that it will bring to us the blessings of God. And that would be deceiving yourselves if you think that's true. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, He said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Also, he said in John chapter 13, verse 17, he said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you... Do you guys know? Do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Okay? See, we can, we can hear the Word of God and we can know the Word of God, but the blessings come when we keep it and when we do it. Many people come to church... And they they hear the Word of God. Many people read the Word of God. And many people know the Word of God. But not so many will actually apply it to their lives. And make the appropriate changes that are called for. We cannot be like that. We need to be doers of the Word. Continuing here, verse 24, it continues... He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus' final portion to his Sermon on the Mount is a parable. It's a parable of two builders. Okay? Uh, uh, a parable, I, I like to break down a parable how I think of a parable, is it's an earthly story that conveys a heavenly truth. Okay? An earthly story that conveys a heavenly truth. Jesus often used parables. And he taught, uh, as we're going to continue through the book of Matthew, we'll see, he uses a number of parables. And, and oftentimes the earthly story of the parable is easily understood. Okay? He used common things like construction. Okay? He used things like uh, gardening, uh, uh, trees, and, and uh, things that are observable in the natural world. And so uh, the, the earthly side of the parable was usually easily understood. Uh, but... Sometimes the heavenly truth was lost. And sometimes the, the disciples didn't get it. And sometimes the people didn't get it as well. In fact, there's a number of times the disciples would come back and say, We didn't get it. Can you explain it to us? Can you teach us what you meant by that? Uh, here, Jesus likened the man who heard his sayings and did them to a wise man. Okay? What does the Bible tell us about being wise? Well, first is wisdom begins... With a healthy reverence for the Lord and following His Word is a prerequisite to wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. Wisdom is something that's very valuable, the Scriptures teach us. In Proverbs 8.11, it tells us that wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. In James chapter 3, verse 13, James said, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. We will show if we are wise or not based upon the works that we do. The things that we do will say that person's wise or that person is foolish. Okay? Our works, our good conduct, our obedience to God's commandments, they will prove whether or not we are wise. Okay? You know, wisdom, I think, often gets misunderstood with, with knowledge. I think a lot of people can have lots of knowledge. Okay? But to be able to apply that knowledge to godly living, that, that's where wisdom comes in. Okay? You can know a lot of things, but unless you rightly apply them to your lives, you really don't have wisdom. You just have information. You have facts. Jesus likened the man who heard his teachings and did not do them to a foolish man. And what does the Bible teach us about the fool and his ways? Proverbs 3, verse 35, the last part of it says that shame shall be the legacy of fools. Proverbs 1, 7. Proverbs has a lot to say about the fools. Proverbs 1, 7 says that fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 28 Verse 26, the latter part again, he says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. A a fool, they trust in their own heart. They despise wisdom and and they're remembered, their legacy, what they're remembered for is shame. Basically, the fool lives like there is no God. Psalms 14.1 tells us that the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. And so the fool, the fool says there is no God, and he lives that way. A fool lives like there is no God. He does whatever he wants and whatever he thinks is best. And he, the Bible says that his ways are corrupt. A fool is how Jesus described the man who hears his sayings and does not do them. Moving on, we see that both the wise man and the fool, they endeavored to build a house for themselves. The houses seem to be identical. We don't see anything that's different other than what we'll get to. We'll see the foundation. But houses in general, we look at this. We, what's, the earthly, what's the earthly story he's talking about? Well, houses, they're structures that are built of various materials, wood, bricks, stone, uh, concrete in Okinawa, almost everything's made out of concrete. Uh, dirt. Uh, houses are important structures. They serve various purposes in our lives. In the most basic of functions, a house serves as a shelter. Shelter from the, the outside elements. Houses uh, should keep us warm when it's cold outside. Houses should, should keep us dry when it's raining outside. Uh, they should protect us from the outside elements. Houses are, uh, are meant to be a place of refuge and safety. Houses are a place that we live in and we grow in. It's a place we, we hope to raise a family in. Another thing about houses is that we place value in our houses. Uh, oftentimes when thinking about buying a house or having a house, we look at it as an investment. Okay? Uh, and so there can be value in houses. In the Bible, homes were often dedicated for a certain service. In Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20, verse 5, uh, it's actually t- speaking about uh, principles governing warfare. 
and uh, insisted within these principles that if anyone had built a new house and had not yet dedicated, that he was free to leave and go and dedicate his house before going into battle. And so uh, this dedication of houses we see is something that was going on in the Bible. The house of the Lord was dedicated to the worship and ministry of service in 1 Kings chapter 8. And the purpose of a dedication uh, was to declare the intended use of a house and, and to make a commitment to keep, uh, to keep it that way, that we're going to dedicate this house for this. And we're making this commitment before everyone that's in, in here, uh, before us, that uh, we want you to help keep us accountable that we keep this commitment. Okay? Spiritually speaking, that's, that's earthly, that's a house. Spiritually speaking, well, what is Jesus speaking of here? Jesus uses the picture of, of building a house in relation to living our lives. What's our life made of? Houses are made of wood, brick, and concrete, and nails. What's our life made of? What are the building blocks used in living our life? Where do we seek shelter in life, spiritually speaking? Where do we seek refuge and safety? What do we value in life? What have we dedicated our life to? That's the principle here. That's what he's talking, the correlation. When you think of a house and how does that apply to us spiritually, the spiritual truth here, the heavenly truth, is he's talking about our lives, how we live our lives. And as I mentioned, I, I don't know a whole lot about construction, but I imagine one of the first things that must be considered in building a house is the foundation that you build upon. I would think that the foundation is, is probably, like I said, I don't know, uh, is probably the most important part of a building, uh, and especially building a house. You know, Because if the foundation is good, then the house will stand. If the foundation is bad, it doesn't matter how great and lovely and, and you know, elegant the house is. If it has a bad foundation, it's going to fall. And so I can't imagine something being more important than that, but maybe there is. Like I said, I'm not a construction guy. But... We see here, that was the only difference that was noted in these two houses, was the foundation. The wise man built his foundation on the rock. Back in those days, in order to build your foundation on the rock, it was necessary. There was a lot of loose gravel, so it would be necessary to dig down into the ground until you came to the bedrock. That hard rock. And it was then that you could start to build a foundation of rocks upon this bedrock. This would often require a lot of extra work, digging down to find bedrock. There would be sacrifices that would need to be made. But it was necessary in order to build upon a firm foundation. Once the bedrock was found from there, you build your foundation stones, your house you build up after that. Spiritually speaking, building your foundation upon the rock is likened to the man that follows and obeys Jesus' teachings. Building on the rock means our foundation upon which we build our lives is the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and His teachings are the firm foundation and there is no other foundation that we can build upon. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 tells us, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Building our foundation on Him may mean 
that we have to dig a little deeper. It may mean that we have to make some sacrifices as we surrender ourselves to His teachings. But it will be well worth it, for our lives will stand for all eternity. The fool, he built his house on the sand. Sand is shifty. It's insecure. It's not stable. And and therefore, it's really not suitable to build upon. The idea being portrayed here really is that the foolish man didn't bother to build down to the bedrock. He just built right on top of the loose gravel, the loose ground there, the the sand. He just built his house uh, with what was comfortable and what was easy. A house that's built upon a poor foundation will eventually turn to ruin. Time and the elements will expose a poor foundation and it will start to show in a house. Spiritually speaking, how does that apply to us? Building our lives on the sand is likened to not obeying Jesus and His teachings. When we do not build our life upon Jesus and His teachings, eventually our lives will turn to ruin. It may take a long time. It may take a lifetime. But eventually our life will see ruin if we do not build upon Jesus Christ and His teachings. In regards to which foundation is best, it's easy to see that we must build our life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And there is no other foundation that we can build upon. These two builders, they both built a house. And both of them also experienced storms. As mentioned earlier, when storms come, our our houses are supposed to serve as a place of safety, a place of refuge, a place we can be protected from the outside elements. Rain, floods, and wind will come and, and cause a lot of problems. Having lived in Okinawa for over 10 years, I, I've seen a great number of storms roll through. Uh, some of you guys, I don't know if it, if it, how big this Typhoon Alley is, but Okinawa is right in the middle of what they call Typhoon Alley. Uh, and there's typhoon season, starts in June, goes all the way through October. And when you're, uh, I think the military, most of you guys are probably familiar with the, the T-Core system. You know, we're, as soon as June 1st hits, we're in T-Core 4 all the way until uh, through October. We're always in that status. Just the idea that a storm can come within four days at any time, basically, is the, the, the principle there. And, and so we're accustomed to that, having lived there. Uh, to be honest with you, we actually looked forward to typhoons because it was like, all right, typhoon day, and we'd get together, and it was a good reason to just bunker down and play games and enjoy uh, just some great company. And people that were on base, we kind of laughed at them because they weren't allowed to get off base, and we'd be sending pictures, oh, we're having so much fun, but... Anyways, uh, typhoons are a lot of fun. But you know what? Typhoons can be very dangerous. Okay? They can be very destructive. As this, just this last week, uh, typhoon uh, hit um, south of Tokyo, about 75 miles t- south of Tokyo, caused some mudslides. Uh, lives were lost because uh, of this storm that blew through. Uh, and they can be very dangerous. Uh, some of the worst storms uh, were ones that brought all three of the things mentioned here in the text. They brought rain and wind and floods. Um, the aftermath of, of some of these storms was quite incredible. Uh, I've seen uh, prefab buildings, and they don't really have any kind of foundation at all, so I thought it was a great picture. Prefab buildings just picked up and thrown, tossed, ripped to, to shredded for, from some of these storms. 
I've seen uh, cars, videos of cars being picked up and just whoosh, uh, flown across uh, a parking lot. Um, just the, the winds were very strong. Okay? Uh, one time, one year, we actually had a storm pass through the night. We woke up and half of our back porch was completely dismantled and like spread across the backyard. Uh, and they can be really powerful storms in life. Or storms in general, these natural storms, they come and, and they can cause a lot of problems on houses. And uh, storms can test the strength of trees. You see trees completely uprooted. Windows, houses, and just about anything that stands in the, the path of a storm uh, can come across great destruction. And, and I think one interesting thing to note here is that the rain, the floods, and the winds, they came upon both houses. The wise man was not protected against experiencing storms. He had to go through them just like everyone else. It reminds me of what we've been covering in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says that God makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Spiritually, the same is true. Storms in life will come and they will test your faith. The storms, they'll come in all kinds of different forms, just like storms do. They bring rain, some bring rain, and some wind, and some floods. Okay. Spiritually speaking, the, 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 the difficulties, the storms of life that we experience, their trials, their temptations, their persecutions, all the, that type of uh, uh, things that we encounter spiritually. And sometimes it, when it, it just seems like difficulties are constantly raining down upon us. We just can't get out from underneath these, these difficulties in life. Okay? When it, it, sometimes uh, Isaiah it talks about how the enemy can attack us like a flood. This idea of just this relentless attack that just keeps coming and coming and coming. Attacks from the enemy. Okay? Winds of doctrine can blow through uh, and, and they cause us to be tossed to and fro if we're not steady, if we're not sure. Where will we turn to? What will we turn to when the storms of life hit? Because they will hit. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when they do, what will you trust in? Or who will you trust in? What have we built our lives upon? First Peter Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God allows testing of our faith as a means of refining it. Like gold, when you refine it, you, you heat it up very hot, and then the draws comes and you separate it. It's being refined. But it's hot. It's, it's, it's not comfortable. Okay? And, and God does the same in our lives. He allows trials to come. Okay? Not to, to break us, not to, to defeat us, or not for us to just give up, but to, to, to strengthen our faith. To allow us to grow, that it might be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Two different outcomes we see came as a result of the testing of these houses. One house 
the house that the wise man built did not fall, for it was founded upon the rock. The rain, the floods, winds, they were unable to shake the house from its foundation. It stood strong and weathered the storms. The other house, the house the foolish man built, it fell. And the the scripture says, and great was its fall. The house could not stand up to the constant beating upon it from the storms, and it fell. The foundation of sand was washed away, and the house went along with it. Having been involved in uh, some of the relief ministry up in mainland Japan, I've seen the effects of, of floodwaters upon houses and what they could do. Join uh, Roy and Nancy uh, Toma. They were ministering up in Sendai for a couple of years. Uh, uh, and it is quite incredible. Great indeed is the fall. We saw a number of homes that were just completely ripped from their foundation and washed away. I recall also seeing photos. I was not there, did not serve in any relief ministry, but from Hurricane Katrina, that New Orleans was flooded, okay? and, and the homes were destroyed. Okay? And I know those are, those are huge natural disasters that happen, but it, it's a good picture to consider what that great fall is like when storms and the floods and the rain and the wind can destroy a house. They can do great damage. Spiritually, the point made by these two different outcomes is really simple. And that's this. Those that build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ will be able to endure the storms of life. Because our hope is in Him and our strength is in Him. We built our lives upon Jesus Christ. Those that build their life on anything other than Jesus Christ will suffer great loss. This parable teaches us the importance of building our lives upon Jesus Christ and His teachings. And in doing so, when difficulties come, we will be able to endure and remain standing in Him. Verse 28 and 29, let's finish off this morning's portion. It says, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The chapter ends with some of the responses from the crowd of people that were listening to Jesus' sermon on the mount. The people were astonished at his teaching. And that word astonished means to be struck with amazement. The teachings he gave and the words that he shared with them were quite amazing. They were quite radical as we covered some of them. Turning the cheek to those who struck you. I don't know. That's not a natural thing, I think, for most, especially for most guys to say, oh yeah, go ahead, hit me again. Uh, that's not natural. Okay, that's pretty radical. Uh, plucking your eye out, cutting your hand off if it caused you to, caused you to sin. That, that would probably amaze me if someone told me to do that. Uh, we know that it was a, a figurative uh, thing and basically saying we need to take drastic measures and sin in our lives. Okay? 
He talked about our, our righteousness. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, those were the mo- everybody thought those guys were the most righteous people around. And so they're like, man, nobody's going to get into heaven. And, and so his words, they were extreme. They were crazy. Uh, they were really out there. Uh, but notice with me, that wasn't what amazed them. They were amazed by his teaching because he spoke as one having authority. You know, back, back in those days, it was common for scribes and Pharisees uh, to teach in the synagogues. And, and oftentimes they would quote many of the sayings of other famous rabbis. They'd pull out and read from a scroll and they'd say, this rabbi says this and this rabbi says this. And, and they would just quote other people. Okay? They did not speak in and of their own authority, but relied upon the authority of others. And Jesus was not like this. Jesus spoke from his own authority. He taught like none they had ever heard. Jesus was able to speak as an authority because he is the supreme authority. He is God. And I often wonder... I often wonder what it would be like to have been present and to hear one of Jesus' teachings live. You know, I often tell you, I, I think I've said this every week, I like to put myself in the, in the story. I like to put myself in the scriptures. You know, I'm, I'm blessed that we have God's recorded word for us here and we can know what he taught for uh, a lot of these things and know what he said. But to have been there and to hear, hear him preach it or hear him teach things, I... I would like very much so to have been there for a few of those teachings. I think this Sermon on the Mount would would be on on the top of my list, to have been able to be there, to be one of the followers just sitting there listening to him go through and and make this this teaching and give this exhortation. You know, my, my inquisitive mind... You know, it, it maybe gets me into trouble sometimes, but uh, you know, my inquisitive mind would have liked to have been there when the, the Pharisees presented to Jesus the woman caught in the very act of adultery. They wanted to test him, and they wanted to see if he would stone her or not. But Jesus, he, he simply stooped down and he started writing on the ground with his finger something. Doesn't tell us what he wrote on the ground. And then he, he gets back up and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he stooped back down and started writing on the ground again. You know, my inquisitive mind wants to know. I wish I could have been there to know what he was writing on the ground. But I think that would have been awesome to be there, to hear that, to, to be able to see Jesus in his element, the preaching and teaching. I think to have been there at, at the Last Supper, you know, when he was there in the upper room, uh, that would have been amazing. You know, I think that would have been something that astonished me as he presented a new covenant uh, in his blood and, and, and he broke the bread and said, this is my body. And he spoke about how he was going to be uh, betrayed and, and just setting up this new kingdom and it would have been incredible to be there. I think the one teaching above all others that I, I, you read through scriptures and you find yourself putting yourself in the scene there. I think there's one teaching above all others that I would wish I could have been a part of. Um, I would love to witness and been there. was the study that he gave to the two men on the road to Emmaus. That would have been an incredible Bible study to be a part of. 
walking along with these two men, Jesus spoke with them and he said, And beginning at Moses, it tells us, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He started with Moses and he just started going through here. Yep, that's about me. That's talking about me. This is talking about me. The prophets, when they're talking about this, that's talking about me. That would have been an incredible study. It wasn't recorded for us what he said. And that's one I really miss out on. I wish I would have been there. But to think, he said some really crazy radical things, but really what astonished and amazed the people was the authority in which he spoke. It made me think of... of just my relationship with the Lord. The people, they were astonished, they were amazed. And, and I want to ask you this, and it's something that I asked myself, and it's really our last point this morning. It comes in the form of a question. When was the last time that you were amazed by God? By what He's done or by what He's doing in your life. When was the last time you were astonished and amazed at what God has done? Have you allowed yourself to be amazed by God lately? I find myself in amazement quite often when it comes to the Lord and what He's doing and what He's done in my life. I'm amazed that the Creator of all heaven and earth loves me And He desires a relationship with me. And He desires that relationship so much that He is willing to give His only begotten Son to die for my sins so that I can be with Him. That is amazing. I think it's a truth we we all believe. Or at least I hope we all believe that. But when's the last time you've pondered what that meant? It really is amazing. I'm amazed... To think that not only does He love me like none other has and none ever will, but He's also chosen to use me. That to me is amazing. There are many more holy and more righteous and more knowledgeable and and more pretty much everything else than me. And yet, He's willing and desiring to use me to serve in His kingdom. To me, that is amazing. It's amazing to think that God that can do anything He wants to do chooses to use you and me to do His work here. That is amazing. I'm amazed at the tremendous blessings that He's poured out upon me. A godly wife that loves me, that supports me. Four healthy boys that keep life very, very exciting. A church family that uh, loves me in, in spite of my many shortcomings, God's blessings in my life are, are very abundant, and it is amazing. And God's blessings in your life are amazing as well. If we stop to consider them and to think about them, I think sometimes we just get caught in the everyday of, of life and we forget to be amazed by God and what He's done for us and what He's doing in our lives. So I want to encourage you, church family, take some time this week. Okay? Hopefully, maybe every, every day this week, but at least take some time this week to pause from your busy life 
and to ponder all the great things that God has done for you and worship Him in amazement. I guarantee that if you take the time to consider His blessings, His workings in your life, you cannot help but be amazed. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your many blessings in in our lives, Father. Things that we take for granted and things that we forget about. The sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross for our sins, the, the, the beatings that He took, the pain that He endured, even though He was guilty, or, or excuse me, he was, we were guilty, and He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong or deserving of it. And yet, uh, He went through that for, for me, for us. And um, I'm just so very thankful, Father. Thankful that You sent Your Son I'm thankful that you love to use the foolish things of this world. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, you've provided an abundance in my life. I'm thankful that you've done the same in each of our lives. I, think, I know we come from different backgrounds and different lifestyles and we're in different spots in our lives, but I think everyone here this morning, if they were to pause and to consider what you've done, that we... We, wouldn't, we couldn't help but be amazed to be astonished Lord we thank you that we can trust in you we thank you that for those of us who have built our lives upon your teachings and are living for your son Jesus Christ and we have a hope that we, and, a, and a promise that we're going to withstand the, the storms of life and Lord I pray that if there's anyone here that's going through Uh, some storms right now they're in the midst of some storms I pray that they'd hold fast to you that you'd see them through Father I I pray that if there's anyone here that's been built their house built their life upon the sand Lord that they'd realize and and know that they could they can move they can can PCS to a firm foundation and uh, Father I pray that prick their hearts and show them their desire, their need uh, for you. And so, Father, I just thank you. Thank you for this, this, this morning. Thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves in amazement of you each and every day. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.